Hey everybody, it's I, not Chad, doing the pre-show intro because, bump, 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 Chad is not on the show today. For the first time in the history of middle of somewhere, Chad has a week off because it turns out he might have an autoimmune disease. Not true, but wouldn't that be fucked up? Wouldn't that be if like all of a sudden now the revert and then both should i do this intro over justin who gives a shit chad's not here he deserved a week off he'll be back next week i asked my good friend dan saint germain to step in for him we talk about wrestling we talk about dmx we talk about uh improv i'm gonna say i'm gonna use the word improv that's not really what it's about I think you guys are going to like the episode, unless you're part of the 10 to 12% of the show who only listens for Chad, and then this is going to be your fucking nightmare, man. You are not going to have a good time with this episode. But I don't give a shit, Carol. Suck it and listen anyway. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, you have landed in the middle of somewhere. No chatty daddy today. It is just me, Cy, uh, taking you through an episode for the first time without Chad. And so in order to do that, I ran out and grabbed a good friend of mine and somebody who I knew could fill the shoes. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan St. Germain. Hey buddy. Whoa, thank you, Cy. I don't know if I could uh phil chad daddy's moccasins but I'll, I'll try that's a good nickname do you have one or no um i you know like a morning zoo type nickname well, well he has moose in the morning i am going <laughs> to abstain from that because i think too many people on the internet will start lumping in my back disease with nicknames you know trying to be clever <laughs> well with you like... just gave it to them on a silver platter now <laughs> now, yeah, yeah. now you, you should have a meme contest now like what what back uh, ailment nicknames can you give Cy? Yeah, what what would be the perfect morning drive time back ailment nickname for a radio show host? <laughs> they just call you Freak. It's like the most, it's like not at all. <laughs> like a morning radio, it's just an insult. <laughs> the, uh, this is the part of the show where we, when we have guests on, we basically fluff their nuts uh, and tell everybody why we like them and how great they are. And it's a really... This is a really, really easy one for me because you, you know, you and I have known each other quite a while now. We did Montreal together and you yeah. helped me work on a silly, a silly We've NFL seen ups. show. We've seen mostly downs, <laughs> mostly downs, a ton of downs, but you are for people who are not comedians or comedy writers, they, they don't, they might not understand the skill sets that exist kind of in the genres like writing stand-up is different than writing late night which is different than writing a scripted show and often you find people that like kind of land in one area like oh i'm a really good late night writer but you infuriatingly are a a great stand-up and then i remember when you handed me a script that you'd sold I think it was kind of like an Uncle Buck homage type. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It was like a very clean networky type of script. But it was fucking fantastic. And then uh, you came to help write this show that I was doing for the NFL and Miller Lite. And 
I remember we had to do the first segment we did was making fun of like athletes outfits. And I wrote like four jokes and you handed me this page of 38 of the funniest things I'd ever <laughs> like. And I was like, Oh, so I'm never going to, well, you had the John Daly one. That was really funny. I forget what it was now, but you introduced me to John Daly on that show. Well, I just, it was like, I, it felt like you ever, you know, we're comedians. So you ever like meet a doctor and you're like, Oh, I could never do what you do. That's what it felt like when you handed me that page of jokes. Well, I was like, Oh, that's, that's too nice. That's too nice. But yeah, it was a fun show. Uh, and then God damn it. Your two stand-up albums are fantastic. You just put one out on uh, Chad and I's label, 800 pound gorilla. No winners here. Yeah, man. Shout out to Anthony. And it is. Yeah. We all love Anthony and there it is, guy. it is fucking fantastic. So now, well, thank you. Now buddy. that everybody knows my big fluff nuts how and why your nuts are great yeah. uh dmx has died and we're not we don't do great transitions on here dan uh <laughs> so i'm just gonna say the words dmx has died and let's talk let's talk about the rough rider let's talk about the man that all of us were way too into as white 14 year olds <laughs> well he's like you know what it is like he like uh like sometimes like his rap would be what a 14 year old like thinks a tough black dude is like a 14 year old white guy. <laughs> like they're like, yeah, he holds a bunch of pit bulls and he's got a chain and he like barks in the middle of it. Like stuff that nobody else did, but we were like, yeah, of course that's, that's just like a tough black guy thing. Right. Um, classic rough rider. That is yeah, a classic R U F F rider. Yeah. Rough rider. Which just sounds like a secret gay biker club. It doesn't really sound like a <laughs> badass. Um, but yeah, he grew up, you know, I, I was in, I grew up in Jersey, but then in high school, we moved to Westchester, New York. And uh, Westchester, you know, you kind of think of like, you know, hoity toity, but like DMX bought a house in Mount Kisco and he was just around. Like I, I, I posted, a, I, I'm going to get into the story what I posted on Instagram because it happened with my friend and I, I'll get to it. But I met DMX. Before you do that, that is the most amazing piece of information to think about the dichotomy that must have existed in that neighborhood of the rich white children and how excited they were to have DMX living amongst them versus their parents. That had to have been just the oddest climate <laughs> of all time. And then the parents like not knowing who he is and then all of a sudden realizing that he has way more money than all of them um yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah i mean it was uh you know dmx was just around it was like it was like a character on the simpsons he was just around like the show like he would like like we saw him at uh applebee's after like a fiddler on the roof rap party or a joseph <laughs> the amazing tech dollar dream coat rap party and he was there and uh and uh, he walked out and i ran up to my friend and i'm like i just saw the dog man you know and uh, and then his friend was still there <laughs> and he turned around and he just goes, he's just like you and me, man. He's just like you and me. And then he walked off dramatically. <laughs> so that was like my first DMX run in. The second one uh, was me and my friend Amar Sastry were smoking a joint uh, on the back roads. And all of a sudden we see, um, you know, an ATV just pull up bouncing, like literally out of like the <laughs> Romeo must die. You know, like, like, and, and it's DMX. And then my friend goes, Hey, dog man, what's going on? He, he's a, he actually was an Indian guy, but I mean, I'm sound like super white. Um, and he goes, like, he's like, uh, he's like, ah, chilling, chilling. 
chilling. Uh, how you doing? He's like, good, good, good. Goes, All right. And then he like literally like bit it up and he like ran away. Like he was, it was like like running into Santa on on Christmas Eve or something. It was so crazy. You got the ultimate DMX uh, experience. He rolled up on you while you were smoking weed, barked <laughs> at you, and wheelied an ATV away. And, and and imagine this, like I'm you know at the time I'm 16 and pot is like now you could smoke pot whatever wherever nobody gives a shit. Like maybe it's different in, in sure. Minneapolis, but like for the most part, nobody, you know, the worst you're going to get is a cop being like, Hey, put that out or here, here's a $50 fine. Um, but like, you know, this was like when I was in, you know, 17 or 16, I was still terrified about being caught by the cop. So when you, when you're smoke, also when like you start smoking in high school, you really can't handle your shit in the same way you can handle your shit now. Um, so I started, uh, so we smoked and I was like paranoid and I was like, Oh, we're smoking in the car. We're going to get caught. And then like, we see this ATV in the distance and it's so weird when like your friend's like, is that DMX and you're high and you're like, no, I'm paranoid. And then he just shows up. He's, it's a real thing. It's not like a hallucination. Um, so that was crazy, but the craziest DMX story. And I didn't tell, you know, I posted this story on Instagram and I got more likes than my wedding photos, but um, I, <laughs> which my wife isn't, isn't crazy about. Um, but, uh, this is the crazy story. And I didn't even tell those other two stories on Instagram because I thought people were going to think that I was lying, but my friend, Scott Brown, who, uh, actually has a, a new tequila bar in New York city. If you guys, it's Hermana, New York city, it's, it's a, like a jazz tequila bar. Um, but he was, uh, he was, you know, like me and him used to smoke all the time, listen to jam bands. We were like jam band kids. And he was at a gas station one night smoking a cigarette. And an SUV comes in, like, you know, like blasting DMX and the window rolls down and it's DMX and his wife. And he's like, hey, Scotty, uh, this is I'm not a great DMX impression. He goes, oh, he didn't say, hey, Scotty, you know, his name is, hey, hey, what's your name? And my friend's like, Scott, hey, and he's like, you know where a car wash is? And I think he said, like, oh, well, there's one either in Carmel or Katona. And he goes, all right, uh, stay here, uh, stay here. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go pick you. I'm going to be back. And I didn't include this part either. Cause it, it does seem too unbelievable. But by this other guy we knew walked up to him and he goes, what are you doing? And he like, Hey Scott, what's up? And he goes, Oh, I'm just waiting for DMX to take me to a car wash. He's like, yeah, right, man. That's a good one. And then DMX pulled up. So, so DMX, just to be clear, DMX pulled up mm. listening to his own music, listening to his own music, a stranger where a car wash Which, was. If you're a comedian, we've all, we've all sadly listened to our own podcast. That's, but we have. Yeah. That is the most <laughs> relatable DMX shit of all time. So <laughs> he rolls the window down, asks a stranger how to get to a car wash and then tells him to wait here until he's back with no pretense, no pretense. So, you know, and DMX's wife in, is in there and, and then his kids are in the back seat. So my friend Scott gets sure. in the car. You know, this other guy who watches his like mouths open. He can't believe that this is happening. Um, but my friend Scott goes in with DMX's family. They're listening to his music in the car. I think they're um, they're just like chatting. His wife's awesome. I don't know if they're married anymore, but um, they were like joking around. And then they go to the car wash, and Scott and DMX get out of the car and. Like DMX, like, hey, you want to help me wash this car? He's like, yeah. So they started blasting DMX while washing the car together, while smoking a blunt together. And I, I didn't include this. This is also something real that happened. 
Like DMX goes, what do you listen to? And he's like, oh, I listen to Fish. And he goes, what's that? And then they listen to Fish together in the car. So like <laughs> DMX introduced him to DMX and my friend Scott introduced DMX to Fish. Uh, and then DMX said, hey, we got, let's go to CVS. <laughs> like, I don't know how this happened, but like, let's go to CVS and buy some candy. So they bought a bunch of candy because they were high. And then DMX bought a disposable camera and they started like taking pictures of themselves and taking themselves together. What? So like, like, and the thing that sucked about it is Scott told us the story and I believed Scott, but plenty of people didn't because he lost, he lost the photos. Um, but then a year no. later he found like, no, but a year later he found all of them. So he's able to show everybody. And one of them I posted on my Instagram. So follow me on Instagram, Dan St. Germain on Instagram. I need the follow. I'm trying to hit that 10 K baby. Um, you got to hit the big 10. I got to hit the big 10. That's over the, I'm over the hump then. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, it's, it's, it was pretty wild, man. It's, it's definitely the craziest, you know, and I, I've done, I've worked with a lot of celebrities. I've been around with celebrities, uh, but like all my stories are like, it's like Andy Dick, like, like trying to make me yeah. motorboat Margaret Cho. It's all like, like not fun, <laughs> like really like drunken, like sad comedian stuff. No one, no one cares if Danny Tanner tried to make you go to a third after party in a row. That's not a fun story for everybody else. <laughs> DMX is a fun story. Yeah. Comedian stories are never good. Comedian stories. It's always like a hero. And then he's in the green room and he's fucking depressed that nobody came to see him. And then he like gets too <laughs> drunk and tries to hit on the features girlfriend. You know, it's like, it's always just like, like, a like a goddamn Raymond Carver short story or something, you know, it's, <laughs> it's never, it's never, it's never good. The, I, I, you know, I'm not gonna, I don't want to take another comedian story, but I know he wouldn't mind me telling this. I, Cause I love it when you get those stories like that. Like, like you just said, where DMX is kind of just like a weird human and he came, he, they just experienced him as a human and you have a really unique story. That's not, I shook his hand. Yeah. <laughs> Dave Huntsberger, who's one of my, my good friends. He's been on oh, this. He's great. David's great. He's the best. And he's been on this show. And so He's close with Swartzen. And so mm -hmm. he used to open for Swartzen on tour. And for a while, he was playing pickup ball in Sandler's pickup game. Oh, wow. Yeah, I heard about that. I love Adam Sandler. I, I, I don't I can't I don't have energy for these comedians and the people in our circle who spend their time shitting on fucking you know, the people, if they were honest, who got you into comedy, because what 12 year old didn't fucking like? Oh, what the hell happened to me? Come on. Yeah, it's I mean, they're, they're, I mean, he, he's the best. Yeah. And so you look you kind of look up to him. He's kind of, you know, a part of your childhood. So I, I always thought it'd be so cool to play in that basketball game. But Dave was talking about because Dave was a pretty good high school basketball player, but he had one move where he would dribble real hard right and then pull up quick for a jumper. And it was almost unguardable. And so they'd played a game and he'd been playing really well. And uh, Sandler is super cool, super nice. So some people, they might hear this as an ego thing. Or it's not at all. He was having fun. Sandler in game two is guarding Huntsberger. And Huntsberger goes to put that move on him and pull up. And Sandler just blocks the shit out of him. Just <laughs> rifles the ball right back into his face. And as the, the everybody goes back up the court... He just does the finger wag and goes into the voice and goes, I know you. <laughs> so like Dave, Dave got to have like, and he was, like I said, he wasn't being like, I'm going to be Adam Sandler to you. It was just like a fun, 
fucking amazing <laughs> moment. Do you know the comedian? Um, he just wrote a young adult novel, so I'm giving him a shout out so I can tell a story. Um, sure. Uh, Luke Cunningham, you know him? He's like a, he used to sure. be a writer for yep. the Tonight Show, and he's another big tall yep. guy for comedy. But um, he he yeah. was play, he was a big basketball player in high school. You know, very he was very good. He was so good that he got to play with amazing players, which is like, you know, like it's like what people don't realize is like there are plenty of people who can beat your ass as a boxer, uh, but they're still never going to be pro. You know what I mean? Like so like sure. when they're around like a Floyd Mayweather. So he ended up playing a like a, a game with Kobe Bryant and Kobe. Whoa. Yeah, which is crazy. Um and Kobe, uh, like, not destroyed him in this game. Yeah, that checks out. My friend Luke, as like a, I tried to burn Kobe. He like, because like Kobe like jumped over him, knocked my friend Luke down, and like, like, and as Kobe was going over my friend Luke, Luke saw his like giant dick and balls. Um, and my friend <laughs> Luke, as like a retort, <laughs> yells his SAT scores, and then Kobe. <laughs> Kobe says, suck my balls in Italian because he speaks like four languages. So he beat him in two ways. Yeah. He beat him physically, <laughs> intellectually, and spiritually. Like it was like a bop, bop, bop. That's fucking amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I I got I've gotten I've gotten to play in some some fun high-level basketball games uh, that I was usually the worst person in, but I, I was able to get into them. But I, I remember there was this kid I worked with back before I became a comedian when I was like in my early 20s. There was a kid named John Luer who came out of Minnesota. So he ended up playing pro, played in the league for nearly a decade. Really good. When I worked with him, he was like a six foot three point guard in ninth and 10th grade. Oh, so he was just fucking destroying everybody. Destroying everybody. Then he shoots up to 6'10". Goes to uh, goes to Wisconsin, goes pro. But so his senior year in high school, I was helping with that team at Orono, and I was a grown adult man. So in practice, I would guard him, right? And I because I, I had the uh, adult strength, and it gave him a challenge. And yeah. I like I took a pathetic amount of pride in being able to <laughs> stick with a high school kid. Because he was, he was like a top 100 in an America. So you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty, if I was a high school kid, I'd be fucking all right. I'm like 23. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah it's like two years later. He's just going to start towards you. Dude, it wasn't even two years. So he goes to his first year <laughs> at Wisconsin, comes home in like May. We're running open gym. He gets into a pickup game. I'm like, I, I'll guard him. They, they, it was a game to 11 by ones and twos. He dunked on top of me. Like oh, on my, my like fucking humility, eight times out of 11 oh. points. You're like, oh, when guys make that <laughs> jump to being good, they're fucking unbelievable. No, it's, it's crazy. And it's, and, and the thing about athletics, it's like can happen overnight. Unlike, you know, you know, comedy or something else where it's like a kind of a, well, some people like just figure it out, but you, for most people it's, it's gradual. I remember when we were filming the Miller Lite thing, we did a thing where you were wrestling Chavo and Chavo isn't even, I mean, I don't know his amateur background, but he's not like Kurt Angle, you know, and Chavo's about like, I'd say a foot and a half shorter than you, you know, <laughs> like it's like, yeah. and you couldn't do anything to him. <laughs> like when you guys no. were like trying no. to like, he just like, he was just sat there and it's like, and that's just a guy, you know, who's just, you know, tough as shit um who didn't like wrestle in the olympics so i can't even imagine you know my friend 
who like I, I, he was, you know, he, he played football in Oklahoma state or somewhere big or Ohio state. It was really big, but he was on the team and he's, he's a big guy, you know, like 300 pounds. And there was like a 200 pound sure. state wrestler on the team too. And my friend was like, Oh, I could wow. beat this kid. No problem. And it was like a minute <laughs> before he was on the ground and just clowned in front of everybody. You know, it's like, once yeah. you, once you get those kind of skill sets, it's pretty, you know, like, you know, it's hard. Like Brooks Whelan is that good. Apparently he, he won state or something like that. Like wrestle, like really good wrestlers. And I wrestled and I was shitty. So you could beat my ass, but like really good wrestlers, they can surprisingly just like, Oh, it's over and take you down immediately. <laughs> you know, it's like, they don't even have to be, they don't even have to be great strikers. Cause they'll just take you down and just tap you out. All my cousins are they're wrestlers and on the Winicky side on my mom's side. And they like, they always good. They're such, I love them all, but they're all such hicks. They would call, they call basketball players, pumpkin pushers. I ain't, my son ain't <laughs> going to be no pumpkin pusher. He a wrestler. And you want to call, you're like, you fucking hick. But in two seconds, they'll have you fucking leg sweeped and your face yeah. mashed into a carpet while you weep in front of your wife. So you can't talk shit to them. <laughs> I've told that Chavo Guerrero story on this podcast, on this podcast about, and do you remember how uh how he had like a limit to him where i like i he was like we tried to call him a bitch like because we're just comedians he was like don't call me that and then i like slapped him one too many times because i don't think he understood multiple takes and then uh, it was just like oh he's gonna rip my arm <laughs> out of my body yeah <laughs> one of my favorite i mean he but he was such a sweet dude he was so cool oh he's a great guy i saw him again at like the live something to wrestle he's a, he's a really sweet guy we, we're like on i guess instagram buddies now but good guy the uh the my favorite moment from that show because it was kind of a shit show with a really cool crew but our very first episode and i might have told this show this story on the show i don't think i i have but now is a perfect time because you're the man responsible and you might not even remember this shit no probably sean merriman was the guest oh yeah that, that was the guy from the chargers right yep chargers yep and you didn't you know you knew you, you're a bit of a football guy but you yeah. you know you didn't you knew a little bit about him. It's not like you're some super fan or anything. No, so I'm no. I like, I'm a football fan, but I'm not like, you know, I don't know my shit. He, and he, he's a nice enough guy. I don't have an issue with him. He's like, he's one of those brand dudes. He's all about his brand. And I think he's, you know, like a lot of pro athletes, there's a lot of image and ego wrapped up in it. And I remember in between, you know, what gets in the way of your brand when you're an athlete age, <laughs> like your brand starts to diminish as each year. Well, when, when we were in between takes and you walked up to him and you just started chatting to him about like women, girls, like just, Hey man, like what's, what's it like to be a pro athlete? And, and you, the exact thing you said to him, and I knew you were, you were, you were up to something. You go, you've like probably never been like shut down before. Right? Like no one's ever like, you've never been rejected. And he got so chest puffed and he's like, nah, man, never, ain't nobody turned. Like he, he really puffed up and yeah. then after we cut, you brought your cell phone over and just held a full story that somebody had written on the internet about a time that he got publicly rejected. Because <laughs> <laughs> these guys, they all like, they all think that, that like, I guess in the internet doesn't exist, <laughs> you know, like, I, I, yeah, it's I, crazy. I don't get it. <laughs> Um, and they all hit on somebody who's the next level. Like they're like, yeah. Ooh, I'm Sean Merriman. I could hit on um, who's Dwayne Wade's wife. Um, Gabrielle Union. Bummer that I got there that quick. Ga Gabrielle Union. And uh, 
but she would reject him. She's like, no, no, I'm a Dwayne Wade level. You're not a Dwayne <laughs> Wade level. You're below that. You can hang out with my friend, but you're not a Dwayne yeah. Wade level. Yeah, you could maybe you could maybe date Sheila Union, Gabrielle's cousin, but you're not you're not <laughs> dating Dwayne Wade's wife. Yeah, you don't have a you don't have a ring, buddy. Well, hey, you, you we started to get into wrestling a little bit, and I want to I want to push on that because yeah, I was a huge wrestling fan as a kid, and then I just you know I'm one of those people who uh, interest changed as I got older. You grew up. <laughs> I became an adult, but I have all that like wrestling nostalgia and you, you're a diehard. You're still in it. Yeah. You love it. Somehow I got married. It's unbelievable. Yeah. You to fluff your nuts some more. You have a podcast called Wrestle Roasts. That's such a fucking good idea. It's almost when you hear a, when you because when you hear a good idea on a podcast, Chad and I were just like, let's talk to each other. But you hear something like Ian Carmel where we're going to fantasy draft regular shit. You're like, yeah. you almost want to kill him. It's such a good idea. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and that show is amazing. But yours is yours was you were going to because it's you, Mike, Mike Lawrence. Lawrence, Robert Karpolis, who's behind the WWE creative ish account, uh, which makes fun of the WWE writing. It's got like a quarter million followers. And uh, Scott Chaplin has been on Comedy Central Roast Battle, I think is like dark horse, you know, funniest guy on the show um he's so, so yeah, funny yeah it's it really is i mean like look i won't really i'll never talk up like my stand-up i'll never talk up uh my scripts uh, but i will talk up this podcast i think we're the funniest wrestling podcast so ch ch check well, us out it's just such a great idea because what you do is you literally i mean there's a lot of tangential i don't know if that's the right word but a lot a lot of stuff around it but you basically mm -hmm. roast all the people that if you're a fan now or grew up watching wrestling, it's just, and it's from you and, and, and those guys who are all fantastic at this. So it's a really good, the, the, the Bret Hart episode was so fucking great because that was great. And this is what I like about this show is you guys are all clearly such good friends. You hated the intro and kept trying to restart it and they wouldn't <laughs> let you. And it's just this fucking, rumbling fun mess into this really great episode about Bret Hart and it I, I fucking love it but I would be a terrible late night host I need you to tell people about your attempt at being a wrestling announcer so that's the podcast Wrestle Roast right, but Russell I need Rose, you to tell we, people yeah, about I'll your just attempt. give us the logline again before I get into the story we wrestle you know a legend every week or you know somebody who's a real hot we just roasted Hogan and we had Brian Moses from Roast Battle and Benji Afalo and Dan Soder as Macho Man it's a terrific episode if you haven't listened. It was good. Uh, but I got, I guess I got asked to do uh, commentary for Joey Janela's uh, spring break. Joey Janela is an AEW wrestler. Super nice guy. Okay. And I got asked because his producing partner is a buddy of mine. And also, I guess, like Ron Funches, who did it the year beforehand, recommended me. And you got to understand, like, this is like, like hearing that I was getting this was like a way bigger deal than like, I'll compare it to like my, my the first time I got a late night set. Like that's what it felt like because that was like this yeah. is my I have arrived. That's what I thought. Like like I yeah, was like this is your moment. And unlike late night sets, I don't think there will be a second one <laughs> for this. Yeah. Like uh, I really I had the Rob Delaney of like wrestling commentary. <laughs> like Kim, have you ever seen this Kimmel set? Even though Delaney's awesome, I love uh, catastrophe, um, and he's super funny online. 
So anyway, I got to ask you this Joe Janela thing. I'm going to do, I, I'm, I'm narrating, um, I'm going to do commentary for one match. The match that I get asked to do is Chris Dickinson versus Teddy Hart. We just roasted Teddy Hart on our Patreon. Our Patreon's awesome. It's like five bucks a month, and it's the best roast we've done so far. If you know anything about Teddy Hart, um, you know how they have like skeleton people have there's the phrase skeletons in their closet. He actually has skeletons sure. in his closet. He's had two <laughs> girlfriends go missing. Um, like Oof. and Oof. he there's like if you read his Wikipedia page, it is just like it's like reading a rap sheet. It is a absolute nightmare. So I'm talking to him and he's got a cat. He carries around an emotional support cat. That's his thing. And he used to be a pimp too. I'm not making any of this up. It's all on his Wikipedia page. Um, and he's designed outfits for male strippers. He's a very weird career. He's also a phenomenal wrestler. Like he was the best besides Brett. He's the best heart, but because he's such a fuck up, WWE fired him. Everybody fired him. So I, I'm talking to Chris, I'm talking to this dude. He's he's pretty nice, but I didn't know anything about him. And then I read that and I was like, holy shit, I, I got to put this guy over. I don't know. This guy's like crazy. Uh, and, and, and but I, I, I have to go. I have to go, um, you know, uh, do commentary. And, and I decide I'm like, ooh, I'm going to like be a character for this. I'm going to like look like Paulie dangerously did in WCW. And I look I look okay. like an Uber X driver. Like I got like a little. Like I got like a Justin Timberlake hat, a big leather coat, a tie. It was like ridiculous, <laughs> but, but it's so cool. Cause I'm backstage and like, there are all these, like, you know, there's like, like MJF is back there and I'm talking to him and he's super nice to me. And, but we're back there and uh, I'm asking everybody and, and it's cool, man. Cause I'm seeing these wrestlers like work out their matches. I got to meet Matt Riddle. He was super nice. Um, but like, I'm like, oh, I'm in my head. I'm like, I've watched this shit my whole life. I can't fuck this up. I can't fuck this up. And I get, I, I'm going to, uh, I get called. I'm going to do commentary. And this event, it's produced half by Joey Jadella and half by the Insane Clown Posse fans. So like, just imagine pro wrestling. Wait, and what? Sprinkle ICP dust on it. There was a lot. Oh, there, was, there was a lot of juggalos there. Um, a lot of people that were involved in the Gathering of the Vibes were also bo booking this. So I sit down with this kid. He's totally fine. Um, the thing that I'm told is Sabu is a surprise. Do not bring up Sabu. Um, and okay. I'm like, all right, okay. I told you Sandman is on the show. Sandman had just done a thing where he hit somebody with a kendo stick. So like offhandedly, and, and let me tell you something, I'm really bad at commentary. Like It was like Dennis Miller, Monday Night Football. I'm like trying to put quips in and it was just like, everything was just failing one thing after another. And, and I just wasn't the right guy for this at all. I, I'd love to get a chance though. Again, if anyone wants to book me for their shitty promotion, I will literally do any indie promotion at FDW to do commentary just to redeem myself for, for no money guys. I like, I like that. That is, that is imagine if that's what came of this story. You there's like somebody who listens to the show who's like, you know what? We got, let's give him a shot. It's a, it was a good story. He's, he seems like he spent some time working really hard and reflected on himself. Let's give him a second chance. <laughs> so I get, I get, I do in the commentary and what I, what I, what I, I make an offhand joke that, oh, I hear Sandman's in back of the bar taking drinks, you know, something dumb because he's a drunk, right? 
And then uh, sure. and then I get I get off and I'm like, and then some guy runs up to me, one of the jugglers, and he's like, you fucked it up. And I was like, what, what? He goes, you fucked it up. You said Sabu. And I had said Sabu. So I blew the surprise on commentary because oh, no. it was SS. I, I, I messed the name up. And then Joey came up and he was pretty nice, but he's like, you fucked it up. You know, like I was like, uh, uh, uh. And, and then I see the wrestlers start to look at me like, you know, like it's one of those things like I just like farted in church, you know? So I was like, oh, one second. I oh, literally grabbed my bag that had all my albums in it that I was like trying to sell merch afterwards. <laughs> and I, I don't I don't even take the money for the gig. I literally run out in the middle of the night and like hail a cab and then speed back home. It was like so <laughs> goddamn humiliating, man. It was such a nightmare. One of the bigger botches of my life. It might have been humiliating, but it was the right choice. Can you imagine it had you just been like, my bad, guys. Obviously, I screwed up. Let me finish the gig. Try to sell a few CDs here, and let's. Let's <laughs> just. And I had T-shirts. I had T-shirts and CDs that said "Satyrmaniac." Uh, it was just so pathetic. Because the thing is, like, the only time, like, when you go up to comedy, the the last thing you want to do up to comedy is nervous. You don't want to go up nervous, even if like you bomb. You kind of want to bomb, not nervous, because it's. It's less, yeah. um, it's less, it's, it's less awkward for the audience. It's actually a nicer thing to do to be like, sure. well, I'm bombing. Okay. Um, but I went up with the, you know, the way that I used to go up like two or three years into comedy, like, Oh, this is it. This is my moment. Maybe I'll be the next Bobby, the brain Heenan. And, uh, I was not, um, but you know, you learn, you live, you learn, I guess. Uh, but yeah, somebody give me a shot. I will literally do the shittiest stuff like empty seats. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, there's nothing quite like putting a lot of pressure on yourself for a really important moment. I, they were, when I was at ESPN, they were testing hosts for another show, a digital, uh, like a show that they were going to make a pretty big deal out of. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I, and it was something that I actually cared about. I was like, this is my shit. I actually, mm -hmm. I would actually fucking love being this person. And I was so fucking nervous and so weird. And I don't, I don't know if the, the nerves inside my body like pushed out of my face and were like, let's mess his hair up. But mm -hmm. I saw the test tape. My boss showed it to me later. He was like, you should watch this. I looked like I, I, looked like I lived in a fucking dirty sleeping bag. I, I, I was just a mess physically and emotionally. Yeah. So there's, no, there's, there's nothing quite like getting your hopes up and failing. You have to like, um, you have to be okay. You almost have to like, you know, like how mystery used to be like, oh, let's neg women. You have to like neg your opportunities sometimes, you know, like <laughs> you have to like pretend it's not a big deal. Like the best sets I've ever gone, I've ever had, I've gone off like kind of, I've gone up like kind of pissed off, like Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, before like a match, like talking to myself, like, oh, uh, you know, like, uh, it's like, oh, they think I'm, you know, like, it's like the, you know, like they think I'm shit. They don't think I'm any good. Like I put that thing in my head, which is like what a crazy person yeah. does. Um, but uh, with wrestling, I was just like, oh, Jiminy, I'm going to be the, oh, I just, what an opportunity. You know, I, I got like very like newsy about it. So of course that I bombed, of course I bombed awfully. We were, we were talking about this, about the show, about how unlikable I come off the first time a human me, uh, meets me. Yeah, I didn't realize you didn't like me until uh, you told me. Yeah, we both, I think we both, uh, we both didn't like each other, not aware of that to the other person the first two <laughs> times we met each other. Yeah, you and me have really good poker faces. 
Yeah, the third time. Yeah, we're just upsettingly kind. Which, <laughs> well, yeah. while also being unlikable. But yeah. that that used to be my thing. Where part of the reason for that was like because we met at Montreal, and yeah. there. I know Montreal is an intense place for comedians. You know, you feel like it's this, you know, this mountaintop that you have to perform on to set yourself up for the future of your career, you know? And I think you were out of New York and, you know, everybody out of New York and LA is a little more exposed to the industry and, and where you're going after Montreal and what it means. In, in the Midwest, you know, we're just all such fucking dumb hicks that you... You, you haven't lived that life. You haven't gone on meetings. You haven't done any of that shit. So it's, it's all kind of like a mystery and it becomes this like gigantic mountain of a big deal. And I remember it was always kind of my thing early in comedy was I don't want to give a, like I cared. I really wanted to be good, but I don't want to care what any of the other comedians think. And I don't want to care about like, I just want to go do my set and then fucking go hang out with my family. Yeah, I finally got into that place. I think it took me a while, but I, I finally got to it. Well, I had to, I had to like in and out of it because what I realized was by doing that, I was kind of being a dick to a lot of people, like not even intentionally, but I would just, I was kind of standoffish. I didn't give a fuck. I didn't like, I don't want to watch, like I had friends who were going to watch comedy on Thursday nights after doing five sets Monday through, you know, thursday early evening and i was just like see you guys later and yeah. i had to kind of figure out that like you know you got to weave back in like hey some of these people are great and and then after after then you find that i had to find that fuck that middle ground you know because i yeah, was yeah you got to be friendly but you don't have to be fake you know it is a social business so you can't you know gone are the days of you can't feel like jd salinger in this thing and hold up you know, hole up in your room yeah. and think you're better than everybody. That's that's a recipe for disaster. And I've seen it, man. I've seen those guys, you know, who never get better. Guys who don't even get to Montreal, you know, open micers who have that, like, you know, that superciliousness about him. And it always fucks him, man. It always fucks him. Yeah, and I never, you know, it was never about thinking you were better. It To me, it was just like, I don't know what it, I mean, I, I was never a partier. I'm a, the biggest fucking, like, I'm a very unfun person for like being silly, uh, but like, I, I don't like parties. I don't, I never like big social gatherings and I've got this big giant family. So me, it was more of a bandwidth thing. It was like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm in my twenties. I've got like a couple best friends and I've, I've got eight siblings and nephews mm -hmm. and nieces and all this shit. It was like, I just like every time you, cause I'm glad that I became a fucking grown up and made friends with people like you and, and Beth and Racine and, and Ahmed Baruch and all these people who I treasure our relationships. Uh, and the other one, you know, being the daddy who's not here today, Chad, but Chad daddy. I also the old chatty daddy, but I also like, I'm glad there was just, there's just something about comedy where the people who walk into it, who immediately want to be friends with all the other comedians. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, to me, it's always, yeah. uh, I don't know why I've gone on a weird Ted talk about comedy and friends, <laughs> but it was like, if you're a friend, if, if we became friends in comedy, it's likely because we would have become friends if we worked at a restaurant together. It's, you know, <laughs> and, and that's, that's the thing that I finally figured out is that if I can approach it that way, I'll make, I'll have some meaningful relationships in comedy and get to maintain the shit. That's also really important to me because you can, 
you can get fucking lost, man. You can, you can dive into comedy and the comedy social circle and all the sets you have to do to get better. And you come up for air and you're like, what happened to all the people that used to be around me? Yeah, no, well, I mean, that's, you know, the easiest way to do that was to see that is, you know, when, when I started out, I would do bringer shows, you know, which is what's such an awful thing that they have where, you, you know, you bring 10 people and then you get on stage. Um, and it gives you an artificial sense of whether or not you're any good because your friends are laughing. Sure. Um, but then like, you know, I remember bringer shows, everybody would come. And then like four years later, when I actually, you know, had gotten like passable on stage, like nobody yeah. was coming. And I was like, Oh, this right. is why, because I've insulated myself in this business. Like all I yeah. see are comedians. And I need, I needed to do that because, you know, I was working a full-time job and I, I really didn't have time. Sure. Like, I don't think I went on a date for a year and a half at one point. Like, it, you know, wow. I was, I was just like, I was like, I got to make this work. I got to make this work. Um, but because of that, you know, you kind of lose, you know, you lose uh, because like when you meet a comedian, it's very easy to talk to them because it just immediately goes into, Hey, what room is good? Oh, they were good. They were bad. Yes. And uh, you don't, you really don't have to do much work to connect with somebody. And when you're in the outside world, it's like, like, like my wife will sometimes will be like, Hey man, can you pay more attention? Can you be in the moment? Um, because, <laughs> you know, I'm just not a particularly social person. I mean, some people who are probably introverts would think I'm a social person, but like, I'm not, you know, I just don't, it's not, I like my alone time and, you know, I, I like, I'll, you know, I, I like, I like people, but I just don't need to be around a ton of people all the time. Correct. But because of that, you know, like sometimes I think you can really kind of, um, you know, your growth can get stilted as a person, you know, for sure. Well, and because you're and I think, you know, there there comes that like split in the path where it's hard to do stand up and improv, you know, unless you yeah. live in L.A. and have unlimited yeah. money and bandwidth. It's hard to take both of them. I you know, you're and a lot not a lot of stand ups are good actors. You, you're you know, I, I, I know you've taken a shot at yourself when I mentioned this mm. before, but you're a pretty good actor. For a stand-up comedian, yeah, I'm pretty good. I think you're a pretty good actor. The thing, you know what the, you know why the reason I fucking disliked you so much what? early on? What, why? When we, yeah, this will be good for both of our self-esteems. Let's do uh. this. Uh, no, well, the first time I met you at Montreal, you were just kind of standoffish. And then I was probably equally standoffish. So I was yeah. like, fuck that guy. And then <laughs> I left Montreal and I was just randomly on the internet. And I came across this, and I wasn't searching for you or anything. I was just looking at comedy videos on the internet, mm -hmm. just sketches. And you with some, other, with some other people had made a fake movie trailer Oh, for the fluffer. For the fluffer, which was a satire of the wrestler, Bruce Springsteen song. It was beautifully shot. Oh, Adam Wirtz did a great job. That it makes me so sad talking about that because, like, uh, Columbia Records just pulled the video because we didn't, you know, obviously no. we didn't get query. We were so it's no. it's it's, a, it's like one place online that people can look at, and the master files are lost. So. Like I no. can, you know, I still have the tape, but not anyone can, nobody can see the tape anymore. And it's the best short video I've ever done. And now I'm kind of like, Oh, should I make another short video? But what the fuck? You know, like those are such a pain in the ass to make. It's like, and there's no money involved and you got to find the right director. And 
it's just such a headache, but, and, and then the right video, like I've had plenty of stuff that looks awesome and just the content isn't as good as that. Um, well, so. the, the, the idea was he's a porn fluffer. He keeps the dicks hard, yeah. uh, set just to the rest. It was so funny. And I remember watching it and I was like, motherfuck. Now I got to like this guy. Cause this is fucking incredible. <laughs> and then we crossed at an open mic and like, I was like going to tell you how great that video was. And I think you were in the middle of something. And so you kind of just like, oh, yeah, yeah, got you. Okay, whatever. And I was like, this motherfucker. <laughs> and so until, until we had the chance to be nice to each other at, uh, at the West Side Theater, I was like, I just had this, great this built up origin story. <laughs> yeah. But, so it's where's the one place you can find it? Because it is, is it, can you put it on Vimeo? Do they have a video rights deal? It's because- on Vimeo. So I got to see it now, but I feel, I feel like an, if enough people from this podcast see it eventually, <laughs> it'll get pulled on Vimeo too, but hopefully it doesn't. Well, take, take your time, but go find the yeah. fluffer on Vimeo. It's, it's, it's so funny. Uh, you have to kind of pick a path a little bit between standup and improv, but you, you have tried improv. Oh, it's, I'm not. Uh, well, the, I, well, the, I, I kind of mislabeled the story I gave you um, because okay. I, I'm not very good at, at improv, but here's the story is like my first year of comedy, <laughs> like all the money that I had would go to cocaine, you know, which wasn't a lot. Sure. So it would be like a gram of Coke or something like that. And there was one night sure. where me and a bunch of other comedians, like, I guess one of them had a deal with the Howard Johnson motel in the East village. So we're like, Oh, we need, we need a place to do this, uh, all this cocaine. And uh, so we got, we got, we got, you know, that we got it out. We started, we started doing blow me and me. And one of the people was a, was a comedy magician. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and the thing is when you're, have you ever done, have you done cocaine? So you haven't done cocaine, right? I have not done no. cocaine. And the fact that you did you watched a comedy magician do cocaine in a Howard Johnson <laughs> and pushed forward with that career choice is fucking incredible. It's a That's Tom Waits. What, it was me, it was me. It was another guy I started with, and then this other guy who did like um like like jokes on the boardwalk in Santa Monica, you know. Uh, so it was us four. Great. And uh, he wasn't doing any coke, which I think that's the weirdest part of the story is that there was one guy not doing any coke around a bunch of cokeheads, which is just, I mean, that's the worst thing that you can be. But like when you're he on just cocaine, wanted, he's just a big Hojo fan. Yeah, he's a big Hojo fan. But the thing about cocaine is, you know, obviously, like I interrupt you now, like on cocaine, it's 10 times worse. We're all interrupting each other. So we had an idea of like, because we all want to talk, you know, because you're on cocaine. And when you're on coke, you want to talk about everything even if you're not an expert in it. And so for some reason, everybody starts talking about how great their fathers are. It's a real weird drug. Um, <laughs> but uh, we decide because we keep talking over each other that the only way to fix this, swear to God, this is the lamest and most druggy thing at the same time. We take a hat and we write like topics in the hat, like little notepad, like little pieces of paper with topics on it. And we would each we had a timer and we were each allowed to talk about the topic for a minute each before it came to the other person. There's no game. It's just like us being able to talk. And like the, the topics were like steroids in baseball. It was like it was it was like it was like some sort of like MSNBC, like on steroids, like cocaine show. It, it was it was bizarre. And then I think I ended the night like listening to. God, what's the the cover of uh, Rocket Man by uh, I don't know if it's Drive By Truckers or I forget it was, but it was <laughs> it was a pretty it was a low point, man. There's never the next day on cocaine is 
is rough, real rough. No, that's you, why you do natural drugs. You hear people talk about rock bottom a lot or low points a lot. And then you hear them. And just, that wasn't, by the way. No, I know it wasn't. But you hear people talk about low points. You know, like you forgot to pick your kid up at school. Like that's, <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty low point. But I, I would say, I would say doing cocaine with a comedy magician and another comic playing an improv game so you could take turns speaking <laughs> while a sidewalk comedian just observed you guys. That's Dude, it was pretty bad. That's it's worse really than bleak. missing a kid's baseball game. It's yeah, worse yeah, than yeah. missing a kid, you know? Like, yeah. It's worse than, uh, you know, your kid just, uh, you know, disappearing. So, yeah, it was, I mean, that was a real low point, man. And, and you know, thank God I don't do Coke anymore. This is a non-alcoholic beer. If you do drugs, just do weed, man. Do mushrooms. Don't don't do the don't do the stuff that's made that's cut or made in a lab. It's all you're always asking for it. Well, and uh, you know, I should point because we drugs have been mentioned a couple times in this episode. You know, you you are a, you're a sober dude at this point. You've worked really hard at that. I know. Yeah. That's well, been... I'm not. I, you know, I've I've smoked pot from time to time, but I'm not drinking anymore. So I don't like to say yeah. I'm sober because. There's, I have been sober and there's plenty of people who say they're sober. So I don't want to like disrespect them and they don't smoke pot. Diminish them. I don't, you know, I don't do benzos anymore and I don't drink. And those are the two things that I really like to do. So that's yep. good. Yep. And I'm, I'm happy. It's always fun to see you on a good path and kicking ass. And thank you for doing the show, man. Uh, you know, I love you a bunch. Yeah. Thank you for having me, man. This was black. This is the first non wrestling podcast I've done in weeks so like and i've done like 15, <laughs> i've done 15 in a row to try to promote our hogan episode for wrestlemania so it's just really nice that i didn't have to like talk about whether or not breaking up the hurt business and bobby lashley was a good idea it's just it's yeah. nice to have a little bit of a change well if you're gonna if you're listening up people if you're gonna listen to the wrestle row start with the normally i tell people to start at the beginning of podcast start with the hogan one the fucking hogan one is, yeah it's really do, do hogan and brett and the hardys those are probably the three best and if you like that become a patron because our teddy hart one is is great and he's probably going to kill us at some point but he's great uh, but yeah, I mean, so check the check out the fluffer if you can but then also uh bad at the good times and uh and uh no no real winners here correct Yes, that, those are the two. I'm going to try to, like, once stand-up gets up and going, I'm going to try to, like, I did it. You know, we both did half hours, but I've never done, like, an hour. Uh, we both did half hours on Comedy Central. I've never done an hour. But, yeah, I want to. I think I want to film something when I come back for YouTube, right? I mean, like, I don't know. Right. It's time. Well, I'll be I'll be waiting for it. You know, you know how I feel about you and the things you create. So well, thank, thank you for you, doing sir. the show. Everybody check out Dan's shit. And the Chattel Daddle will be back next week. Uh, goodbye. Yeah, tell Chad I said hi. Nope. <laughs> hey, if you guys like this, uh, there will be a new episode next Monday and every single Monday at 8 a.m. So click the subscribe button so your phone sends it to you without having to do any work. <laughs>